Amen. My brothers and sisters, we are here again, and I'm delighted to speak with you as a continuation of our chat our discussion last time. His name was Doogie, and Doogie was my best friend in the little rural community of Mastic Point. I didn't want to fight, but um, that is not how it ended. I told you Doogie's my best friend, but there was a little, there was, well, I, I'm not sure I could call anybody little. Um, there was somebody who was shorter than I was in school, around age 14. His name was Timothy. Timothy loved excitement. He liked action. So here's what he did. He told Doogie during the lunch break, he told him, he basically asked, he says, Doogie, you can beat Wendley? Where, where are you coming from? And Doogie, instead of not answering that question, said yes. Well, for heaven's sake. Now, Timmy challenged him that after school, for some action going home along the street, you know, you gotta pick a fight with Wendley and let's see how this ends. Now, this is an all-age school situation. This is not just primary school, junior high school, senior school. All age, so everybody in the same one-room facility. That's cool. Well, Doogie came to me the day before lunch break was over and told me, as they say, point blank, I can beat you up after school. I just eat my bread and butter for lunch, and he come, but he can beat me up after school. Dismissed that. Went through whatever happened between the end of the lunch break and school dismissal. Walking home as a group, because where the school was, almost like in the middle of the settlement. So some students went north, some went south, I was living south, so the whole group was walking, going home. Apparently, Doogie had forgotten that he was supposed to beat me up. Now, I also forget to tell you that Doogie drove to school, got his own car. Well, we call it a car, those who roll hook, we call it a hook, you know, the bicycle, yeah. And you know, we bring that to school, but you never bring it into school yet because some principals and people want to take your car. So you would park it on the side of the road before, you know, so when school's out, you go in the bush, and we had nobody who would steal your vehicle because, you know, uh, you'd recognize your vehicle. And so you, and you, so, so Doogie already got stopped, picked up his vehicle, and he was going home happy as a lark. And then, Timothy had this, Recall, things are boring going home. So he went to Doogie and said, hey, Doogie, you remember you were supposed to beat up Wendley? Oh, yeah. So Doogie pulled up ahead, parked his car on the side of the road, came back. As I said, I was a little taller than Doogie. Now, most fights assume that if, since I was a little taller, if I get you in a headlock, and if I can choke you, tell you, say, I gee, then this fight is basically over. So now it, it is unfair, rather even cruel maybe, for Doogie, who was maybe yay high to me, 
But he decided that he's going for the neck. Some people would call that you're going for the jugular. Well, so he reached with both hands to pull my, my body neck down to him so he can probably put me in a headlock. Well, of course, for me at my height over Doogie, all I had to do is this to get his neck. Well, I attempted to do just that, you know, and so I did that, but he was not necessarily standing still. The, the road where this took place, of course, there's a pawn right on the side. I did this, and Doogie, I didn't want to fight. Now, this is a fight. Now, of course, the crowd created an instant ring around you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People could be so cruel, you know. But that's what they, they, they made this ring. And, and then when I did this, Doogie was, because he was so close to me, I, I couldn't punch. I couldn't get a good punch from me, you know, um, unless I just slap him on the back of his head. But when I did this, Doogie did the unthinkable. He opened his mouth and bit me on my big muscle. <laughs> Latched down here. Well, the excruciating pain that went up to my brain and told my brain, trouble down there. I, I, I had this vision, and guess what was in this vision? Doogie's air that was right next to my jaw. You know, so since he was biting, this is going to be a biting fight. Okay. So when he latched on my forearm, I saw that he probably needed a space to attach an airing. So I decided to latch on his air, which caused or triggered an action for him to release my arm. <laughs> yes. And, and then some of the bigger children in this school decided, because at this point we already struggled off the road onto the side of the road into the pond a little bit, you know, with my brown and yellow uniform. And so they decided they've had enough. I had two sisters that were older than I was, and of course they did trying to call me. At this point, I can't move, because see, I was latching this bulldog jaw, you know. So when I, we stumbled off the side of the road and latched, and I took a part of his air, and then some of the big boys came and said, oh, y'all stopped that, you know, they just laugh at all, big fun. I'm looking at my hand, I can see all of Doogie's dentures mark on my arm. I didn't want to fight, you know, but I had no choice, or did I have a choice? Do you know that every time that you are tempted that you have options? Last time I spoke with you and I told you that, um, according to James, uh, chapter one, verse two, it says, consider it joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. Consider it joy? That's a strange thing, joy. Well, today, I want to speak to you from verse 12 through 18, if I can, um, with the time that is left. Consider it all joy? No. James now goes to 12 to 18 where he proceeds to explain the consequences of obedience and disobedience. He also identifies the sources of temptation so that his readers can manage their trials efficiently. And so, my brothers and sisters, I wish to speak to you about four things, really. The ultimate end of trials. I'd also wish to speak to you about the process. Well, first of all, who is the cause of temptation? Because sometimes you may get that wrong. And then also, 
What is the process, as I mentioned? And then, of course, the goodness of God in these verses before us. I'm just going to read through the verses. James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one is to say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Verse 18. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we might be, as it were, the first fruit, fruits among his creatures. There is a little town in the northeast of London called Kester, where you would recognize the name Charles Hayden Spurgeon was converted. But in this town, they have a special place in City Hall where they had a room set aside for those who were martyred and burned alive because of their faith. On a tablet in this hall, there is a, a heraldic motto that says, no cross, no crown. We've used it a lot. That's where they got that from. James 12, 1, 12 says this, starts off by saying, blessed. Sometimes you walk our streets, uh, some of these people just pass you and say, blessed. <laughs> yeah, blessed. Blessed. Blessed, let me switch that. When you hear blessed at the beginning, sometimes we think right back naturally to the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Let me switch because it simply means exalted. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trials. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. In view of how God uses trials in our lives, we should persevere. When we think back about verse 2, consider it all joy, and how God uses trials, because of the way God uses it, we should persevere. We should endure it. We should stick it out. We should persist. We should continue. We should hang in there in the will and with the enablement of God, and to do so joyfully. That's the difficulty to do it with joy. Well, maybe because we're not thinking in terms of option, because we have the option to accept it as if it's from God, or we have the option to reject it. That's because the problem. Every trial, every external difficulty carries with it a temptation and an inner enticement to sin. James began the sentence again with the word, Blessed, exalted. Are you in the midst of your trial? Do you see it as an opportunity of being exalted, 
Are you seeing it as an opportunity of being blessed? Blessed are we if we can do this, certainly to endure, to persevere, and to come out of our trials proven and perfected, holding fast, regardless of the cost, or to the, what is true and to what is right. Blessed or exalted are we if we have wisdom to consider our own wealth and our talents. So uh, many of the gifts that God has so graciously given to us to use for God's glory and for the good of our fellow man. Blessed are we if we have courage in all of our business dealings to absolutely be honest and just. Blessed are we if we are not only just, but compassionate and loving and forgiving and merciful. The Christian who perseveres under trials, who does not yield to temptation to depart from the will of God, demonstrates his love for God. James uses the same word that we used in James chapter 1, verse 2, where he used the word trials. But here in, verse, uh, in this chapter, in this verse, when he says he switched it now to temptation. Verse 12, persevere, trial. The other side of it is temptation, is in view here. It is those who persevere under trials out of love for God while being severely tempted who he will reward with the crown of life. Only the person who endures through serving, through severe testings and temptation will receive this blessing or this exaltation that is mentioned here in the text. In no circumstances, more than in trials, does the presence or the absence of the love of God for a Christian becomes more evident. How do I know that you love the Lord? If I say raise your hand, most people would raise their hand. How do we know that? I mentioned last time, when you are squeezed, what comes out? Do you come out with something where the love of God oozed out of you or something else that is less pleasant comes out? Could it be that when God, when you find yourself in a trial that God has allowed, do you think naturally? It is unnatural. And we said that last time to think of any trial as something pleasant. It is unnatural. But this is a classic opportunity when you're on trial to see how much you love God. James in verse 13 says this, let no one, there's no one to say when he is tempted, I am being tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself does not tempt anyone. 14, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Wow. God is never the source of temptation. He does not seduce his children to sin. And some of you are thinking, that's not true. I remember Abraham says, King James Version, God tempted Abraham. You remember the scenario of Abraham being asked to offer up his only son, Isaac? Only son, and even only son. You know, of course, Isaac had a brother, you know, half brother. You know, uh, so it wasn't his only son. But in the context, reading it, the intent of the, the passage. And God says, take him and offer him up to me. Now, was God then participating in murder of your own son? 
On the surface, it seems that way until you read the rest of the story. God was not. God was testing Abraham's obedience. It was a test. Last time we said that trial, from God's perspective, is a test. Don't mix it up, my brothers and sisters. Don't mix them up. When Satan puts a trial on you, a temptation towards you, different intended outcome. I'll say that in a moment. But following the verse, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Those who were a little older, my mom was eight years old when they, in the lab, created this drug um, that causes one to hallucinate called LSD. It was a very powerful drug that caused people to hallucinate. Um, so their behavior changed, their thought changed. So, and by the way, there's a possibility you can overdose on it because it was that very potent drug that can really kill you. Well, in this context, I see another LSD. And listen to what it says here. And this is the source of temptation. It is not God. The source of temptation is, but each one is tempted when he is carried away by LSD. It's right in the text. Lust, then sin, then death. Now, if I knew that ahead of time, that lust will then take place when it is conceived, it will give birth to sin. When sin is grown up and become a full adult, you can turn around and kill me. Some of you would have bought that baby early because of this baby, and that's what we should do with sin, with the lust. And let me explain lust to begin with. In its generic definition, lust by itself does not conjure up something that is evil. I say that because in the text, well, not in this text, but in scripture, do you remember when Jesus said he desired to have a last meal with his disciples? The word desire is lust. Same word in the Greek language, same word used there. But it was desire. He had the strong desire, to, I need to eat with you, my, my brothers and sisters. So the word used is lust in that positive sense. Do you remember when Paul was um, in this familiar passage that talks about, you know, um, I'm not sure whether it talks about to die or is gain, but Christ in Philippians chapter 1, and then in verse 23, he says, and verse 22 talks about, I'm not sure whether I should go or leave, because to go is far better than to, to stay, but he has this desire to want to leave. And so he uses the same word, desire, there. In other words, if I put... He had this lust to leave. So let's understand when we say lust. It does not always, even though in our use of the term, predominantly in the New Testament as well, when it is used, it's predominantly used towards in a sexual connotation. But what it's saying here is this, my brothers, we cannot blame God because there are some people, every time they are in a situation of trial, they blame God. In fact, some people stop following God because they are in trouble. They blame God. James is telling us, you can't do that. That's not the source. The source of lust that has a negative connotation is from you, not God. God cannot be influenced by any sin or any evil. And so he is not the, 
the, the cause of your, your problems with respect to sin. I, I'm looking and thinking of the, the clock, so let me just say this, my brothers and sisters, as opposed to following through with my other notes here. If you were asked to be the star witness to the goodness of God, would you, what would you say about God? Because that's what James went on to say. He first gave the judgment, if you allow your lust to lead you away, it's giving you a warning, a judgment. It's going to lead into sin. Sin, when it is grown and full-blown, mature, it will kill you. It will kill you. So James went on to say, but God, he talks about gift. Every good gift, every good thing, every good thing that you that is bestowed and every perfect gift that is given to you is from above, from God the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. That's God. That's, that's the goodness of God. So think about this. Again, if you have been called on a witness stand, and can you speak about the goodness of God? I think you should be able as a believer. I think you, if, do you remember when you were, as we say, in the downhill of your dark sin, and God reached down and out of his grace pulled you up and washed you, and we just had a remembrance of that moments ago, washed you with the precious blood of his son and made you white as snow. And then he, from the inside out, he then came and imputed into you, stamped you, sealed you with his Holy Spirit saying, this one is mine. When you pick up some items, you look and you turn it over, it says made in China or some other place. When you pick you up, when you look at you, this is God's property. You and I as believers are God's property. Now that you are and you are placed on a stand and asked, can you speak to the to your odyssey or to the character, the justification of the character of God, what would you say? In spite of the fact that you've been going through some very difficult times in your life, whether it was through physical, and I mentioned these last time, whether it was physical trial, whether it was emotional, whether it was relational, whether it was economical, whatever the trial was, we do agree, I believe, that God is still God. You are God's child. You are God's, we are God's children. So whatever comes to me, and I think God, as I mentioned, God is an excellent security person. You know, if God secures you, and he does say that, and when you see the picture in scripture tells us that, we are, as it were, in Christ's hand. And then Christ closes his hand, and then the Father closes his hand over Christ's hand. I, I, I get these, these thoughts. That's some heavy-duty kind of security. Not, nothing can get to you or get to me unless God releases his hands. Christ has to release them and then expose us to whatever is out there. And if God does it, it's for our benefit. We just don't feel it right away. That's why some people say, buckley tastes bad, but it works. But it's the same thing. Sometimes God places us in certain situations so that we can, as I mentioned last time, we can become more Christ-like. God wants to develop us, to be the kind of children that brings him the ultimate maximum glory, because God has a purpose for our existence. And so when he talks about there's no shadow 
or a variation in God. God is constant. So if they ask me, and regardless of what I'm going through, when they squeeze me in this trial, because I'm thinking, God, how is this happening? He may not answer me audibly, but because I know who he is and his character, God does not change. He is compassionate. He is a healer, and even though I might be sick. By the way, did I tell you? My mom was released from the hospital when I say those who were asking from last week. You know, uh, did I tell you that she was trying to jump out of the bed? And I thought Olympics was over. You know, they, they had this metal thing in the bed, and uh, she's feeling well, and she decided she needs to use the restroom, and she was coming out. Why are you trying to straddle over this bed, mommy, at 91? You know, these independent island people. That's how, but she's doing well for those who are asking about her concern. She's been released, and so I say to God, be the glory. I'm, I'm thankful for that. And so I, I have released everything that happens in my life, and, and I try to envision that with every other believer's life. What is God doing? He may not audibly say, but I want to encourage my brothers and sisters, please, you have options. You can blame God, and I know some people who decided because they had a tragedy in their life a trial, and they thought it was too long, too intense, too severe, that I'm quitting. So they turned their back on God. God never turns his back on his children, regardless of where you are. And I want you to be encouraged from Scripture that God is still God. He loves you. And even though you go through the trial, God has your best intention and his glory in, in mind or in view for you. And so, my brothers and sisters, as I rush to conclude, I simply remind you of this truth. Whenever you're going through your trial. Please know that for Satan, Satan tempts us in order to bring us or bring out the worst in us. So when you are in a trial, what is coming out again? Is it something that you will not like to be seen publicly? But when God allows temptations to come our way, it is always to bring out the best in us. That simplifies it for me. That helps me with my decision. That helps me with how I perceive things. If I feel like this is something that is driving me away from God, or I'll be disobeying God, or making God as his child, giving God a bad rap, then I need to make my adjustment. And God, humble me. This is for my own good. He may not tell me immediately what this is for, but I need to be, as the scripture verse 12 says, persevere. Persevere under trials because those who do, they will receive the crown of life, who have been promised by God Himself for those who love Him. Notice that persevere, the crown of life, and those who love Him join together. So it's almost like hey, if you love Him, you will persevere. And if you persevere, it's an indication of your love for Christ. Do not be deceived, as it says in verse 16. My brothers and sisters, don't let the devil swing you. He's done that consistently from the Garden of Eden. He's been doing it. He hasn't changed his strategy to it because it works. He tried it on Eve, always causing you to doubt God. And he's very strategic. And he says to Eve, for example, did God say that? He didn't say to them out loud, say, God lied to you, because Eve would probably jump back. What? Uh, he said, did God really say that? Hmm? What do you think? Okay. Did he say that? You know, he's the sneaky fellow. Don't get swing by the devil's strategy. If God put it through to you, allow you to encounter it, it is for your good. 
Again, James 12.1, my brothers and sisters, those of us who persevere, you will receive crown of life. I can see it now. Look at the crowns in this room. And you know, when, because that's not what we're doing it for. Because we, Revelation, when we, whatever we got, we can just put it at Christ's feet. Say, God, you deserve this. Not me. He's done already too much for us that we don't deserve. We are just products of God's grace. Thank you, my brothers and sisters. Let's close at this time with prayer. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for the opportunity that we have and for the certainty of your word that encourages us that, Lord, whatever we go through, you are constant, more constant than the lights that you have made. Because even the sun and the moon at times are obscure because of other things, the lights and shadows and distance and clouds. But you, you are constant. There is no shadow, no variation in your intensity and your love for us. And so whatever we face, Lord, cause us to be resolved in our thoughts that we would always, always persevere, that we will always love you. And so when we are faced with these trials, Lord, we will bring honor always to you by our thought life, the things we say, and the things we do. In Jesus' name, amen.